Hi, everyone, and welcome to Stacker Chat. Uh, my name is Gina Abrams. I'm an early employee with the Project Stacks, and I'm joined here by Muneeb Ali, co-founder of Stacks. Um, thanks for being here, Muneeb. Oh, excited to be here. This is something that new that we're trying out. <clears throat> the community is probably familiar with your work, Muneeb, via Twitter and Telegram and Discord. You've also done a lot of podcasts and AMAs. Um, but we really wanted to create more of an informal venue to hear a little bit more about your background and cultivate this channel uh, to connect with folks in the Stacks community. So this is something we're trying out. We're open to feedback, and we would love to open it up to community questions. So just fill the survey below, and we'd love to hear from you. But we're going to give this conversation, conversation a shot and see where it takes us. In this episode, I'm curious to hear more about some of the threads that pull some of your different life experiences together and have shaped where we are today and the story behind the person building Stacks. So to provide a little bit of background, the project Stacks that you co-created is bringing apps and smart contracts to Bitcoin. The Stacks 2.0 blockchain recently launched and Stacks has over a $2 billion market cap. And we're really seeing the fruits of labor from the past years coming to fruition. A ton of exciting projects are popping up. And recently there was over a billion dollars in total value locked in stacking, which is where Stacks holders participate in consensus and earn Bitcoin but it's been quite the journey to get here. And so I'm really curious to hear actually about um, your experience with early internet communities and growing up in Pakistan. Um, from what you've shared in other conversations, it was no small feat to get onto the internet. I think you were like hacking and using some corporate account. You could only go on at select times. And um, I was curious, can you paint a quick picture of what were some of the first communities that you were joining, um, resources you dove into, things that really hooked you in the beginning? Yeah, so I think, uh, so this would be, I would say, the 1990s, like 96, 97, uh, timeline like that. I was, I was a teenager. I was, I was living in Pakistan, a pretty sleepy town, even within Pakistan. It's called Rawalpindi. It's an army town. Uh, nothing much happens there. It's like the army headquarters. My, my, my dad uh, was serving the army at that point. And then I was kind of like the only kid on the block that um, had access to a computer, which was like my prized possession. My parents actually saved up for it. It was like a very, very big thing for us uh, to, to get that machine. And I think I was naturally just drawn to tinkering with it, like in the sense that instead of being kind of like a user, I remember like uh, throwing away uh, Windows and installing Linux, but then after installing Linux, like kind of like trying to write scripts and trying to program different things and basically just like uh, lifting up the hood and trying to understand how things actually work. And um, I, I don't even remember how I heard about the internet, but I definitely remember that uh, and the computer itself is like you assemble it right so it's not something it's not like a computer that comes delivered like you pick your hard drive and your ram and your i was always like kind of like even tinkering at a hardware level right so it's like the equivalent of the homebrew club that, that people might have experienced that you're actually assembling your physical computer as well and you're you're you're, uh, you're trying to upgrade it and i heard about the dial-up modem that you can actually get this device and then connect to other computers. And that was my initial understanding of, of the internet. 
And so I, I tried kind of like saving up or convincing my parents to kind of like uh, get me uh, get me that upgrade and get a dial-up uh, modem installed, which is like a big day. But obviously, I didn't realize that that would just change my life, right? like having that internet connectivity. And then I, I couldn't ask them for a monthly uh, budget for kind of like the actual ISP connection, right? Because that would be a recurring kind of like cost. And um, I, I can't re- recall exactly, but I remember getting access to some corporate accounts through my friends who where the story that was told to me was that, you know, these are corporate accounts. Nobody uses them at night. Bandwidth is going to waste. If you just use it, you're not really stealing anything. And I was, I kind of like, was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll do it until I get my own connection. Right? And so I would stay up all night, every night uh, online. And you would like, this is like 95, 90, like uh, I should look up, but it's like probably like 96, 97 or something like that. And you would get disconnected from the internet. Uh, it, funny enough, like, so that account was shared with my friends as well, or a couple of them. And if a friend would dial in, the ISP would kick off the previous connection. So sometimes my friends would actually kick me out, right? Like, uh, and, and we will try to coordinate between each other as well. So imagine like, it's like three at night and you're online and you're doing something and then you are kicked out like, ah, I need to like call my friend. It's like, no, I'm using it. No, I'm using it. And, and it was it was super interesting, right? So my impression of the internet was that like, oh my God, this thing is like, you know, a whole different world of a whole different world of information. We have to keep in mind that I was growing up in a place where there was a single state controlled television, right? So our access to information is actually uh, fairly limited and, and and we didn't even realize that growing up. Uh, and and even, even the kind of books you would read in, in your school, I was going to an army school as well. Uh, like it's like heavily censored literature, right? Like they would they would make sure that they're presenting a certain narrative about certain things, and 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 uh, it's, it's, you, you don't really have like access to free information, and you start discovering the internet communities, and they are very organic. You would have your own pseudonyms online. I remember picking uh, like you know like pseudonyms for myself. Some of them have actually stuck around uh, over the years, and then. Um, just connecting with people all over the world. And, and, and some of them were hackers and tinkerers themselves. So I, I remember discovering like uh, IRC, which was this really this open chat protocol. And again, I think just like I very quickly was trying to figure out like how Linux works. So instead of like just chatting on an IRC channel, I was trying to figure out how, how the chat protocol works. And I was trying to actually run the servers uh, there were like different servers like Dal, Dalnet or, or uh, some others. And I was trying to run my own server and also didn't have bandwidth. And I was mostly just fascinated by, you know, how a, a communication protocol is built, like how it actually connects people and then learning from the people that I was, I was meeting. Right. So it was, it was, it was very interesting. And looking back, if you think about it, um, that internet was actually much more open and decentralized compared to the internet of today. Uh, and like, let, let's take the, the IRC example. There were multiple clients available. It's an open protocol. So anyone can have a reference implementation for a client. I remember using MIRC, which was like one of the clients for the IRC protocol. Plus you have different servers that it's like peer-to-peer, right? Like if you if you get banned, then people will get banned from, from a server for you know, being abusive or, or something like that. Um, and they could actually... Uh, connect connect to other IRC servers or even channels as well, right? Like channels would have their own moderators. It was like a pretty much like a 
like a red Reddit type community, like they were self-governed and you would kind of like need to behave and earn a reputation to, to uh, rise up the ranks and make friends there. But there were there was no no company like Facebook in the middle. There was no one kind of like cracking you or, or uh, spying on you or like selling your data and things like that. So I, I do think like that uh, notion of an open internet and then people would kind of like build their own websites, right? So instead of instead of everyone having a Facebook page, uh, some people would have their own websites that they again like they're self-hosting these things, right? Like so you would you would have your own Linux server and you are. Uh, and this is like before the cloud even, right? So you're actually running the server, like you're running the hardware, you're you're hosting these things yourself. Um, and I do think that those notions of a truly open decentralized internet uh, kind of stayed with me because I, I got to experience them as a teenager. And over, over time, when um, you know we started seeing some of the negative effects of these large tech monopolies or uh, kind of like the downsides of cloud computing where Sure, we are getting certain benefits out of out of you know um, data backups or efficiency, and, and people are just kind of like using these services. Uh, but on the downside, like everyone's is now dependent on a handful of companies, and they they have kind of like lost control of, of their own own uh, data and uh, and information online, and which is which I think like over the last five years, like when we were starting off in 2013 and so on, we would talk about these things. People would be like these folks are just idealistic, right? And they're they're talking about privacy and security and uh, kind of like your your ownership online and building a better internet. And, and people are like, nobody cares. Like uh, people will just keep using these these uh, uh, these products. But now there's there's so much more awareness, right? And not just awareness, it's actually completely new types of applications that are possible in a decentralized world, like decentralized, uh, uh, financial applications are a good example, or NFTs are a good example. They're all stemming from the same basic principles. Like NFTs are interesting because individual people have direct ownership over over the NFTs, and they can sell it, and they can resell it, or they can program them to have um, some sort of a revenue share or whatever they want it to be. But the basic principles are exactly the same. Uh, for where kind of like the original motivation for for our project and our work kind of comes from. It all comes full circle. <laughs> Excellent. Um, now, I to sort of bring it to present day, um, it's still early days for Stacks. Um, we've been building the project for a while, but Stacks 2.0 recently launched. And um, at this point, Stacks has over a $2 billion market cap. Um, there's thousands of people interacting with the project, um, both in terms of the technology and the community. I'm curious, what are some of the things that stand out as unique to you about the Stacks community? Yeah, so I think um, one thing to understand about Stacks is that we have this uh, cultural value of uh, doing the hard things and doing things the right way. Like in the sense that uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're kind of like given like a menu of choices, sometimes it's actually like much easier and much faster to uh, take the easy path, right? Like be it regulations, be it uh, kind of like fundamental R&D for scalability or, or security. Like sometimes it's actually much faster to build something that is hacky, that is not, not kind of like well thought through uh, or take a shortcut on, on, on regulations and, and so on. Right? So we've had kind of like this value that if we truly believe that th these uh, 
this infrastructure that we're building or these protocols that we are building, they are critical internet infrastructure. And, you know, uh, so many people are going to depend on them. Uh, there will be so much value stored on these smart contracts and so on. Uh, and you really have to make sure that the foundations are really, really stable. Uh, so I, I do think that I'm very proud of the, the Stacks community in the sense that people would have a 10 plus year timeline. That yes, we are going to take the time, uh, let's say clarity language as, as an example, that it's actually easier to just take a language like JavaScript and fork it and make some modifications and try to use that in smart contracts. But we actually went through the trouble of uh, doing the R&D work for figuring out what's the best possible uh, smart contract language that you can design uh, with the long-term goal in mind that you know people will be keeping like hundreds of millions of dollars of assets on, on these contracts, which is already happening very quickly after launch, right? Like within two months after launch, there is now, you know, let's call it $800 million of uh, worth of, uh, of total capital that is locked up in a smart contract uh, for, for, for the PX contract earning Bitcoin, right? And the reason that I can, I can sleep at night is that it's written in clarity and we actually have, you know, much stronger guarantees of, of security uh, with a decidable language like clarity than otherwise. So these are the, the kind of things that I think when people discover stacks, um, one thing to keep in mind is that in the crypto industry, there's a lot of kind of like hype and marketing and, and, and kind of like sometimes uh, the marketing narrative is like way ahead of what the other products are. And stacks is a little bit like the other way around, right? Like I think people are, uh, people are humble and they're down to earth and they are, there's actually a lot of uh, real progress and real innovation. And we try to almost like at times, like on purpose, try to keep the excitement around things in check, right? And, and, and we, we, we try to do the hard things up front. And I do think like uh, uh, our, our work around compliance and regulation sometimes actually get, gets a lot of attention, even more attention than the, than the technology itself. Um, and, but that's a good example of this value that instead of doing a, you know, let's just throw together a offering um, that might be an illegal securities offering and just let anyone participate without any kind of like checks and balances or uh, uh, on it, we actually went through the trouble of working with the SEC for a SEC qualified offering, working on a decentralization framework through which you know there can be enough uh, uh, true decentralization in the ecosystem that you aren't actually rely relying on any single party, including my company, uh, for the survival of the network. And, and those things, like doing them properly and doing them thoughtfully, actually takes takes a lot of time and effort. And I'm very proud of our community that they kind of like share that value. Like people who have um, stuck around in the community, people who are very excited about what we are doing, they definitely had very long time horizons in mind. And I think that value uh, goes hand in hand with our decision to build on top of Bitcoin as well. Like I think Bitcoin actually shares that value. Like Bitcoin is something that is supposed to be durable uh, Bitcoin is something that people can rely on for decades. Uh, it's not an experimental thing that can break and people expect it to break. And 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 I think Stacks actually shares that value with Bitcoin. And, and that's why it makes a lot of sense uh, for us to even build our technology in a way that we are actually benefiting from Bitcoin and we are anchoring to the Bitcoin blockchain. And basically uh, to reorg Stacks, someone will have to you know, have to attack Bitcoin. And that's actually, again, a harder thing to do. Like it's actually 
easier to build a separate new blockchain versus trying to connect with Bitcoin and a blockchain that already exists is impossible to change, right? So you cannot even change, make small changes to Bitcoin to accommodate your design. Uh, and we, we had to kind of crack that problem from a technical perspective. And I think, I think uh, uh, a lot of sophisticated engineers would realize that, that this was actually a pretty hard nut to crack. And same with clarity, like uh, the, 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 the design of the language, how we have done it. I think very sophisticated engineers would appreciate like what we have done over there. And, and after a while, uh, hopefully like more people would start to appreciate what we have done. And I think the analogy with the regulations is actually a good one, right? When we, when we did the offering, there was a lot of like doubt outside that, hey, the SEC is actually not gonna do anything. Uh, projects can just get away with these things. And then we started seeing all of the SEC enforcements, all of the actions and the, even the courts sided with, with the regulators for some of these things that over time, uh, slowly after years, I think people started realizing that, oh, okay, so here's the reason why you know, Stacks uh, did X or here's the reason why Stacks did Y. And I think it's, it's, it's almost like a similar analogy on the, on, the, on the technical side that, oh, after a while, people would have the realization that, oh, here's the reason why, you know, Stacks is bringing smart contracts to Bitcoin instead of taking Bitcoin to smart contracts, right? Like sometimes like these type one type decisions are actually very fundamental and they can make the night and day difference. Same with here's why Clarity is not tiering complete. Here's why it's actually a decidable language and so on. I think there's a long list of these uh, type one type, very fundamental decisions that we've made. And it might actually be a little bit contrarian out there, but I, I feel very confident that when people actually look under the hood and they understand uh, what we're really trying to do, then they discover that that was actually the, 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 the harder thing to do or the, more, or the more thoughtful thing to do. Now, on that sort of building off of that, another thing that has been a big part of your life is really taking this research-focused approach. Um, you spent time working at research centers in the Netherlands and at Princeton. And I'm curious, what were some of the research topics that, that really intrigued you when first setting out on this pursuit of cutting-edge technology? Um, sort of what, what are some of the threads there and how did they eventually lead to your interest in both Bitcoin and building in crypto generally? Yeah, so I think I think this this goes back to um, the early days, right? Like when when I started my undergrad, I was I was actually really interested in building things. I was doing um, I was doing really well on the computer science courses, and then I was just checked out on 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 like everything else. So I I'm actually not one of those students that had like really high grades in in, in undergrad. I was I was doing well on the computer science side mostly because I had a lot of domain knowledge already. It was kind of like easy for me to take the courses, but I definitely wasn't spending my time in classes, right? Like I was, I was, I was hacking on things. I got really interested. I remember reading the book on computer networking uh, by Larry Peterson, uh, which was, which was like, again, that, you know, love at first sight type of a thing. I remember reading the book and um, I think I was like 20% in or 15% in, and I was like decided that this is the field that I want to go in. I already had the experience, like I, we talked about these IRC channels and communication protocols earlier, and I could really connect the dots when formally studying computer uh, networking, like, like from a textbook or something, that, hey, this is amazing. This is what I'm gonna work on. And I think I was just naturally drawn to the internet, like the way it connects people, it opens up these, these opportunities. But this was kind of like the underlying working, like how does the internet work? Like how, how, how does like TCP IP work? Or how does like, 
you know, these these Ethernet type technologies work and how did, did they evolve? And I think that's where I took the deep dive. But what was exciting for me was sure learning about you know the the works that happened in the 80s and 90s and and you know what are these protocols, how do they work, but also like what's possible now. And I remember early on, like in, during my undergrad, so now we are in roughly 2003 or so. Um, there there was a big project going on at MIT. It was called the Project Oxygen, and the mission of that project was that. You know, the computing is actually going to become so abundant that it will be like the oxygen in the air we breathe, right? And it, it, they weren't wrong, right? Like that's the direction we're kind of like going in, like computing devices everywhere. And, um, and, and it was kind of like a precursor to cloud computing in a way, uh, but also with some elements of like um, interacting with computers in new ways. And I, I remember working on a uh, project and uh, there was somebody at MIT that I knew was kind of like mentoring me and and uh, I actually looked up my undergrad thesis one of, one of the days it's available online uh, uh, it, it was funny to take a look at it because I was actually working on low level new types of sockets um, that actually migrate with the user so that so the demo of that was um, you know uh, there's a video uh, on, on YouTube where uh, uh, at the MIT lab, uh, there's a researcher who's watching the matrix and is walking around the MIT lab and the movies is following the user. Like wherever the user goes, the matrix, the movie is kind of like following the person. And it was like fascinating, right? Like, look, that this internet connection is not to a computer. It's actually, the connection is almost like with a human and, and the devices, like they're just automatically migrating wherever the, the human is going. And I, I, I kind of like hacked on that project as, as my undergrad thing. And, uh, and later on, uh, I, I did research work in cloud computing in uh, Internet of Things, which were called sensor networks. Like uh, later on, people started calling them these Internet of Things type of devices. But earlier, at least in the research communities, they were called like sensor networks, peer-to-peer uh, -peer networking. But the common thread really is like a bunch of computers talking to each other or new types of computers, right? So sensor networks were these uh, small scale, very limited RAM uh, or, or computing power type devices who are kind of like deployed out in the wild and they have to form communication links and they have to talk to each other and conserve battery. Uh, so my, my team has always been kind of like new types of devices uh, that, are, that are communicating with each other in, in new ways and what types of applications are possible. And I would say that, that Bitcoin is an example of that, right? Like it's a bunch of computers that are following a protocol and 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 they are uh, they basically form the basis for a new type of uh, reserve uh, currency, right? Or they provide a new type of a consensus mechanism that can be used uh, for other types of applications that can that can benefit uh, from that consensus as well. So I, I would say those are kind of like the big big themes. But uh, similar to how um, uh, this random day I was uh, pulling out my undergrad thesis. There are also some papers I wrote at Princeton that were never published. They were kind of like in advanced courses. But those papers, I was reading them, and they talk about content addressable networks, which is IPFS. They talk about new types of naming systems, which is effectively these decentralized names, like these namespaces we have on, on stacks. They talk about decentralized storage, which is like a big thing now with so many products like Filecoin, RV, or even the Gaia storage system that we have. Uh, in the stacks ecosystem, so I do think like a lot of the uh, a lot of the work that I've done before actually has like very direct uh, connections to 
eventually Stacks. And then uh, interestingly, my thesis ended up being being on uh, on Blockstack as well. At that time, the project was called Blockstack, and later on, we simplified it to Stacks. And uh, it's 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 like fascinating to me that you know I've always been interested in technology that's not just uh, that do- doesn't just stay in a research lab. Like it's not like a theoretical thing. Uh, so it's it's like really fascinating and satisfying for me that my thesis is not a thesis that basically is like a hypothetical thing. Like this this thing actually got commercialized and there's a very serious effort uh, to bring this technology uh, to the real world so that real people can actually benefit from it. And I think that's that's basically uh, the best that I could have hoped for. Obviously there's a lot more, uh, a lot of room to grow and a lot of uh, kind of like new works that can be done. But as far as like my academic journey is concerned, like I feel like, 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 because of the fact that it ended up building, it ended up in something that is real and is not just like a, a academic research lab idea. Like that was probably like the best outcome uh, to put to put a pin on kind of like that that kind of career that I had. Excellent. Now, since you have this research lens and background and expertise, um, what are some of the areas in crypto specifically where you feel like there's potentially some information asymmetry or um, what, what kinds of questions are you asking yourself these days to really go deeper from this research lens? And what are you thinking about in terms of the landscape and, and future development? Yeah, so I think some of the things that I'm, I'm um, looking at are basically, I think, uh, scalability obviously remains important. Um, like we've seen a bunch of work on uh, new types of scalable blockchains. And I think one of the area that, uh, that a lot of people actually don't fully understand is scalability always comes with design trade-offs, right? Like it's not, it's not magic. Like if someone, someone is saying that I can give you like, you know, a really scalable blockchain, the question to ask is that what are you trading off? Like what are what are the design trade-offs you're making to give me this property? And not a lot of people like make that uh, ask that type of a question, right? Like most people think that these things are just becoming faster. Uh, and and yes, like there is a technology trend that things tend to get faster. Like you know the 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 hardware improves or the bandwidth lengths improve, but but that's that's actually fairly predictable. You can predict the growth of like the underlying hardware, compute power, and bandwidth lengths. So within those kind of like physical constraints of like what's possible uh, from a purely bandwidth uh, uh, and, and compute power perspective, there are limitations on what these protocols can do, right? So I, I feel like uh, diving deeper into what some of those trade-offs are and bringing the best of those uh, kind of like properties to the Stacks ecosystem is something I'm very, very interested in because we've made the design decision to basically settle on Bitcoin. Like we feel very comfortable with the finality of Bitcoin, but but then doing faster transactions, like for example, as microblocks, and then settling that on Bitcoin. But theoretically, like, you know, there is no restriction on how much data we can settle on Bitcoin. Like it doesn't need to be thousands of transactions. It could be millions of transactions as well, or the internal, uh, interval in which we do these microblocks or whatever, uh, uh, consensus algorithm we have, like it could be much faster um, because eventually we are just deciding on Bitcoin's finality, right? So that it's a very interesting trade-off. So that's one thing I'm I'm, I'm pretty interested in. Uh, the other thing that I'm exploring a, a lot these days, or at least I want to, like as much time as I can find, 
that is on the different ways like Bitcoin can actually move from the Bitcoin chain uh, in a trustless manner into the stack chain and then back. Uh, I think there are some very interesting things that we have unlocked with the, the PUX mechanism, uh, which actually in a way solves the hard part of the peg uh, where, where you can actually logic on the stack side can actually uh, dictate how, um, how Bitcoin payments get made on, on, on the Bitcoin side. And I think that property could be used in, in, in very interesting ways as well. Uh, and then I think I feel like some of the application use cases, like if there are certain applications that are demanding uh, some functionality from the underlying infrastructure, like it, it, then that's a very real use case. Like applications are pulling certain functionalities. Let's say that you know, NFTs need, need some sort of a uh, functionality from the underlying platform. Like that's very interesting to explore because there's data that this application is showing traction and, and it needs support from the underlying infrastructure. So how, how do you best provide it? Awesome. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Muneeb. It looks like we're out of time for today. Um, but if you enjoyed your time with us, uh, please subscribe to the Stacks YouTube channel, where we'll continue to post further sessions of Stacker Chats with Muneeb. And if you want to learn more about Stacks, head over to stacks.co and stacks.org. Um, to learn more about um, Hero, the company that's building the underlying technology, head over to hero.so. And for the Stacks Accelerator, for anyone who's interested in building on Stacks, head over to stacks.ac. So we're going to be tuning in next week. If you'd like for us to cover any specific topics or questions, um, have guests on future episodes, please complete the survey below. Um, and we will love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Very awesome. Thank you so much.